So we're going to study end times, and I know what some of you are thinking, Pastor Carl, really? As if my life doesn't have enough stress? I'm just trying to make it to the end of the week, trying to make ends meet, and you're going to be talking about end times? Well, when you talk about end times, yeah, there are some challenging things that we're going to look at in Scripture, things that may potentially on the surface could cause a little apprehension. But we are not fearful, for God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind, and we are hopeful. We are anticipating, we are waiting for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've read the back of the book, the last book of the Bible. We know how it all ends with Jesus coming back to establish his kingdom. And we will rule and reign with him forever and ever. So no matter how tough it may be, no matter how tough it, it may be in the weeks, months, years, or decades, Christ tarries. We don't know the day or the hour that he's going to return, but we do know beyond a shadow of a doubt he is going to return. Two-thirds of your Bible is prophecy. A big chunk of it has already been fulfilled with stunning accuracy. Jesus fulfilling prophecies made 700, 1,000 years before he was ever born. He fulfilled them, hundreds of them, absolutely amazing. Which reminds us that of the hundreds of prophecies left related to Christ's second coming, assuredly as he came the first time, fulfilled those promises, those prophecies, he will come a second time without sin unto salvation. Growing up, my dad owned a bar. After I got radically saved, uh, I still would go and help my dad out at times. And even as, a, as an on-fire Christian, I would go on Friday nights and Saturday nights to close the bar down for him. Uh, I know many of you don't know this because you walk with Jesus and you're not in bars at 2 in the morning. But at 2 in the morning, they have to shut down, you know, by state law. So I would show up at 1.30 and I would tell everybody, last call. You know what that means? If you haven't already had enough to drink by then, order one more because we're going to be shutting down in 30 minutes, right? And then, lo and behold, what we would do, what I would do, and don't judge me like that. <laughs> I got some people saved when I would go close the bar down. I had one guy, me and my friend witnessed him. He was crying. He was on his knees crying, asking God for mercy. And uh, he, we led him to Jesus. Now, I don't know if that helped my dad's business, but I know it helped my heavenly father's business, okay? So we'd say, last call, and then we would turn on the lights. Interesting. We'd turn on the lights, and everybody would be like, oh, yeah, okay. Time to go. Well, I believe when you preach a series like this, I think the Lord is saying to this world drunken in its drunken stupor, I believe the Lord is saying, last call to all. Come, drink freely of the water of life. Whosoever will can come and be saved. I believe it's God's last call, and we're turning on the light. Hallelujah. Yeah. Prophecy is a light that needs to be turned on in your life if it hasn't already. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a lamp shining in a dismal place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. God's word is compared to a, a lamp in a, that shines in, in dark places. And prophecy is that sure, strong message of God that we can depend on, we can trust in, and we can lean upon during difficult times in our lives. The question is, will people heed the signs of the times? 
We don't know the day or the hour that Christ is going to return. Even the Lord Jesus himself said only the Father knows that. But we potentially could know the season. And this is the season. So many prophecies that had to be fulfilled before the second coming of Christ, the majority of which have been fulfilled. In particular, Israel becoming a nation once again, which took place in May of 1948. But we're going to look at the signs of his coming. There are seven signs that we're going to begin this weekend and continue in the weeks to come, but we're only going to touch on one of the seven signs today. That's all we'll have the time for. But the question is, will you, will we heed the signs of the times? You know, anytime you travel, you jump in your car and you're going to go somewhere from point A to point B, the closer you get to your destination, all of a sudden signs start popping up on the side of the road, letting you know how many miles to your destination. Those signs tell you a couple of things. Number one, you're on the right route. And number two, they remind you it's not that far away. Biblical signs are the same. On the, on the side of the road of life, they are reminding us that we are on the right road and that we're moving towards our ultimate destiny. Humanity is moving towards its ultimate destiny, the return of Christ and the establishment of his eternal kingdom. But the key is, will people heed the signs? There's a syndrome called the Cassandra syndrome. Cassandra, in Greek mythology, was a queen appointed by Apollo. And Cassandra was cursed. She was twice cursed. First of all, she was cursed that she could not tell a lie. She could only tell the truth. But the second curse that was upon her life was nobody believed what she would say, even though it was the truth. Some of you might be familiar with a cult classic movie that came out in 1995 called The Twelve Monkeys, starring Bruce Willis. <clears throat> and in this movie, he was a time traveler. Scientists were, be able, were able to, do, to invent this time machine that sent back Bruce Willis from the future to the present to try to stop a plague that was about to break out that would annihilate billions of people on planet Earth. And in that movie, there's an interesting quote that's made by this scientist, that Dr. Kathleen Rayleigh in this make-believe movie, that references this Cassandra syndrome, and she says this. Cassandra in, class, in classical Greek legend, if you recall, was condemned to know the future, but to be disbelieved when she foretold it. Hence, the agony of foreknowledge combined with the impotence to do anything about it. Imagine knowing the future of an impending plague that's going to wipe out most of the human race, and in present day, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's going to happen, and when you try to warn people, they, they have no belief. Their eyes are blinded. They mock, they laugh, they ridicule. They dismiss you as being out of your mind. That's the Cassandra syndrome. The agony of foreknowledge combined with the impotence to do anything about it. You see, the prophets in the Old Testament, they suffered from the Cassandra syndrome because prophecy is a messenger from the future in the present warning the world of what is to come. And when the prophets would stand and speak on God's behalf the prophetic word of revelation, whether Old Testament or New Testament. They were cursed in that what they told the people was true, but the people refused to believe it. Hence the Cassandra syndrome. 
The signs are everywhere, but the question is, will people believe the signs and the warnings? Because God in His love, God in His mercy, sends out warnings before the impending doom, judgment, and wrath of God is poured out. I believe this to the core of my being. Uh, before I ever got saved, as I started reading the Bible, uh, the first book I read, I wouldn't advise this, was the book of Revelation. And it terrified me. Dragons and multi-headed dragons and beasts coming up out of the abyss and demons on the loose and people cursing God and hailstones uh, weighing 100 pounds falling down upon men, yet men refuse still to repent to God. I'm like, whoo-wee, I need, I need to get right with God. The signs are everywhere. So the first one we're going to look at is this. Paul the apostle predicted that, number one, there would be a great falling away from the faith just before Christ's return. Here's what he said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. He's writing to Christians 2,000 years ago, and God, through Paul and the Holy Spirit, speaking to us today. Don't be fooled by what they say. They who? The false teachers? The naysayers? In the last days, Peter said, scoffers would come and they would mock those of you that believed in this messianic promise of a second coming. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion. Say that with me. A great rebellion. Against who? Against God. Against His Word, His teachings, His command. And at that moment, only when that happens, will the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, be able to come on the scene and be revealed the one who brings mass destruction. Assuredly, as you're seated here today, I, by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, warn you of the day that's coming, perhaps in your lifetime, when an all-powerful deceiver will come on the scene, proposing, promoting himself as the answer, the Messiah, and will deceive tens of millions of souls and lead them into perdition. He's known in Scripture as the Antichrist. Please know in advance so when that day comes, you will be able to choose the way of God instead of the way of the enemy. Paul said, don't be fooled that there's going to be a great rebellion. I looked up that word rebellion. It's the word, the Greek word apostasia. We get our word apostasy or apostasize from that. Paul said, just before Christ comes and the Antichrist comes on the scene, there's going to be a great rebellion, a great apostasy is going to occur. What does that word mean? It means a rejection of God, a rejection of truth, a, re a, a defection from true orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is a, 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 a fancy-sounding word that basically means correct belief. To be orthodox in your Christian doctrine means that you believe correctly what Scripture teaches about heaven and hell, about Jesus and his, and, the, and his deity and His death, burial, and resurrection and the commands of Scripture and the spiritual moral laws of Scripture, you adhere to it and you believe it. Even though the world around you may be shifting and changing and the morals may be shifting and changing and the laws of the land may be shifting and changing, you, your allegiance is ultimately to God. For there's one king and it's not Caesar, it's Christ the king. And our loyalty and our allegiance is to him. But it will be challenged, and it is being challenged in these last days. Paul wrote to Timothy, 
just to reconfirm what he had said to the Thessalonians. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Notice it doesn't say all, thank God, just some. Some shall what? Depart from the faith. Why? Because on a massive level, a great apostasy, a great rebellion against God, Nations, denominations, churches, families, individuals will begin to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and some will depart from the faith. I'm sorry to say for those of you that are into hyper-Calvinism, you can't depart from something unless you were a part of something. At the end of service today, we will all depart from this campus, from this sanctuary. You can't depart from something unless you were a part of it. Paul said there are many people who are a part of the faith. They've given heed to, they've responded to the faith, to follow Christ, to serve Christ. But many, some, in this verse, will depart from the faith. This is a different Greek word than the the one used by Paul writing to the Thessalonians. And this Greek word means they will will be drawn away from, they will detest, they will be deserters of the faith. Why? Because they started to pay attention to these seducing spirits and these doctrines of devils. Don't raise your hand, but many of us, God forbid, we know a loved one, a family member, a friend, God forbid a child, a son or a daughter, a co-worker, a a former church member that at one time was on fire for Jesus and living for Christ and, and following Christ. And now where are they? They stopped reading the Bible. They stopped going to church. They stopped fellowshipping with Christians. And now they're back in the world living an ungodly lifestyle. It's not too late. The prodigal sons can come to their senses. The prodigal daughters can come to their senses. They can come back and be welcomed into the loving arms of a loving Heavenly Father if they repent of their sins. But many have departed from the faith. They've just left it. One time in John's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus said some very controversial things, as I will be doing today. And after Jesus said some very controversial things, many of his disciples turned their back on him and they walked away to follow him no more. It's called the satanic verse in the Bible. It's John 6, verses, verse 66. John 6, 6, 6. Many departed and followed him no more. And then he turned to his, his loyal apostles and he said, Do you all want to go too? They were smart. They said, no, 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 no. Where would we go? You, you have the words of life. A great falling away. I'm praying that there will be a great falling in love with Jesus in these last days. I'm praying that for you and me and for our loved ones and our circle of influence that there's not going to be a great falling away, but there's going to be a great falling in love with Jesus. But let's talk about apostasy. Let's talk about seducing spirits. They're everywhere in our world and in our culture. Seducing spirits on television. Seducing spirits on the radio. Seducing spirits throughout social media. Seducing spirits throughout Hollywood and TV programming. What is a seducing spirit as Paul named it here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1? The word that he uses is planos. This Greek word, planos. And it was used in the Greek world to describe a roving tramp, a streetwalker, someone that would try to allure men into sin, to seduce them into an adulterous 
affair. A spirit of seduction, that's the strong word that the Apostle Paul uses here. It it describes an imposter, uh, someone that misleads, a deceiver, a seducer. This is the ploy that Satan used in the garden with Eve when he seduced her away from God. He lured and enticed her away from God. He caused her just for a moment to question the truthfulness of God's command. Ever so subtly and ever so slightly, just to momentarily question, maybe, just maybe, that's not what God meant when He said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did God really say that? Lucifer said. Isn't He trying to keep you from the knowledge, the true knowledge of good and evil? Look at the fruit. It looks good, doesn't it? Taste it. It's even better. All it took was that little crack, that little opening, and the lie slipped in. And she believed the lie, and she partook of the fruit. Seducing spirits. But not just seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. You see, the devil has a gospel. The devil has evangelists. Jesus represents life. He represents death. Jesus represents truth, and his kingdom represents truth. Satan represents lies, and his kingdom represents liars. Jesus has his followers, and Satan has his followers. Jesus has his teachings, and Satan has his teachings. And they're called by Paul diabolical in nature, doctrines or dogma of Satan himself in these last days. One of the signs of the end of the time is that there is a spirit of perversion and a spirit of murder that's been unleashed upon this planet. It's no coincidence. The first time Jesus came into the world, his first coming, was preceded or, and or followed by a great slaughter of innocent children. Herod went on a murderous campaign, killing every child two years and younger, hoping that he might kill the Messiah, the Christ himself. You can read about it in the Gospels. It's no coincidence that prior to the second coming of Christ, once again, the spirit of Herod, which is alive and well in our world, because the devil is a murderer, and he was a murderer from the beginning, that there has been unleashed a spirit of murder in our, in our world today, and once again, it's the, the target innocent children. Through the legalization of abortion on demand, innocent life being taken, because Satan is a murderer, and he goes out to bring murder. But not only is that one of the doctrines of the devil, but another one is perversion. A spirit of perversion has been unleashed upon our planet, unlike anything the world has ever seen before. And why? <clears throat> Listen to me. This is Satan's last attempt to do the very thing that he has been struggling to do <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, for the last 6,000 years, to mar the imago Dei, the image of God in every human being. Every human being, no matter what your sin that you may be struggling with, whether it's the sin of homosexuality or heterosexual sin, whether it's adultery or fornication or pornography or drunkenness or drug addiction or gossip or strife or thievery, whatever it is, Satan's intent with sin in your life and in my life is to damage, to mar the image of God in you, to make you more like a devil Unless like God. Matter of fact, the word godliness means to be like God. Ungodliness means to be unlike God. And the further a nation 
And the nations of the world move away from God and apostatize. God turns them over to a reprobate mind. And what occurs, according to the Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian that ever lived outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, when God has completely given up a civilization, they dive and they delve into the most perverted of sin, which Paul mentioned as homosexuality. That becomes the death knell, the final sign of a dying civilization when it is not only permitted and promoted and endorsed and encouraged, but celebrated. Celebrated. So how does, an, how does a nation that once served God, how, how do they turn away from God? Think of Germany. The great nation of Ger- country of Germany. At one time, they, they gave us the likes of Martin Luther and the Protestant movement and some of the greatest theologians. But then in the 20th century, out of that once Christian nation, which they turned their back on their Christian faith, what emerged? Adolf Hitler. Some of you have been lied to about Adolf Hitler. He was not a Christian, had nothing to do with Christianity. He was a Satanist. He was an occultist. Matter of fact, National Geographic did an hour special on the occultism in the the Nazi movement itself. All the upper hierarchy officials in the Nazi movement were all Satanists, occultists, astrologers, and mystics. Hitler regularly consulted the horoscope. He established Germany's Federal Commission of Occultism, which was the first time a modern state officially recognized occultism, and he created a governmental department to oversee it. It's no coincidence that Hitler himself came to power. He was, a, he was a dress rehearsal of the Antichrist that will come one day. He came into power on January 30th of 1933. That happened to be a pagan holiday. There are eight pagan holidays. He came into power on one of those pagan holidays. In, on April 30th of 1945 was when he committed suicide... It was another pagan holiday, the holiday called Beltane, a night when witches gather together. Britain took Hitler's occultism seriously enough to retain the services of Walter Stein, a German occultist and medium who informed the authorities about what the astrologers were telling Hitler. Hitler himself was initiated into Satanism by Dietrich Eckhart, who was the founder of the Nazi party. Satan had his hand in the rise of Nazism, but God had his hand of sovereignty and grace in the defeating of that great evil that was about to consume the world. (laughs) Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Think about the hideous lie of evolution. It's really evolution, not evolution. And it's taught like it's the gospel. And that you are, you are attacked and assaulted verbally if you don't believe in evolution. If you don't believe that you evolved from apes. In February, the Institute for Creation Research, ICR, they're, beh- they're going to be holding a conference here, a huge conference, thousands in attendance. And one of the doctors from the Institute for Creation Research in the month of February will be speaking in our services And I can't wait for all of us to hear and be exposed to what he'll have to say. 
You see, out of the doctrine of, of evolution, it's a doctrine of demons. Out of that came communism and Nazism and humanism. And out of this belief that we are all just animals evolving and there's really not much difference between us and the animal world, and so let's give in to our animal instincts. Out of that belief came the diabolical dogma that has produced the likes of abortion on demand where we are now through our taxes funding centers like Planned Parenthood that systematically terminates the life of innocent children, 70% of which are African American, by the way. Another 50% which are women, by the way. And then they sell their body parts for profit? That's happening in our country, once a Christian country that's turned its back on God. And we need to turn our faces towards God as a nation once again in repentance. And I've got hope for our nation. I don't know where you stand politically, but our new president, he's got a lot of proving to do, but at least it's refreshing because we haven't had this in eight years. We have someone that says he believes in life in the womb and he wants to defend life in the womb and that he's going to... He's going to submit nominations for the Supreme Court that will not try to write law, but defend law and be true, strict constitutionalists. That's a glimmer of hope. And I hope you have enough spiritual discernment to set aside your, your political views related to taxation or immigration or any. And as Christians, to come together on the issue of life that is a non-negotiable that we must continue to be promoters and defenders of life if we want God's blessing to come back upon our nation once again. But whole churches, I was at a conference, I, I was at a gathering of pastors not too long ago in California, and a pastor of a church of 10,000 in California sat at the table with me, and I said, so how's it going, and what's happening, and what are you preaching? And, and I said, are, 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 you, are you educating your people about what's at stake in this election? Oh, no, 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 no. He says, I don't go there. I go, what do you mean you don't go there? <laughs> we never talk about abortion. We never talk about same-sex marriage. He said, that would alienate half my congregation. He said, if I got up and I preached that on a Sunday, next Sunday, half my people would be gone. I said, good. <laughs> that might be a good thing. You know, sometimes you have to add through subtraction. Amen. Amen. What? Yeah. Not to speak in the face of evil, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, is evil. Not to act is to act. We must let our voice be heard. We must take a stand for the defenseless. We must take a stand for what is just and what is right and what is moral, and what is good, and what is wholesome, and what is right, and the way God created us to be and to live for His glory. You see, some churches, pastors can't preach what I'm preaching today. You know why? By Monday morning, they'd be fired by their board of elders. But I thank God we have a different board of elders. If I don't preach like this, they'll fire me on Monday morning, which they would need to do. Amen. You say, that sounds like hate speech. I know. I spoke to a young person involved in the homosexual lifestyle just a few months ago. And my heart was bleeding for compassion for him. I said, well, here's why we believe what we believe. He says, I can't believe that you preach that kind of hatred at your church. I said, man, it's not, I love you, bro. 
But whether your sin is heterosexual or homosexual, it's sin. And until you know you're a sinner, you don't need a savior. But it's only when you know you're a sinner lost in sin that you need a savior that bled and died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And why did he do it? Because he so loved the world that all that would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to know there is a way out of bondage. There's a way out of sin. There's a way out of darkness. Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christ is the answer. You see, no one can change another life, but Jesus can. Because Jesus will come inside of your heart and inside of your life, and he'll change you not from the outside in, but from the inside out. But whole churches are departing from the faith. Whole denominations. As Soren Gierkegaard once said, he called them kissing Judases who betrayed Jesus not for 30 pieces of silver but for the silver of the praise of men, for the silver of political correctness. Think about the religious landscape and how it's changing and shifting in our country. Think about the decline of Christianity in America right now. Currently, church attendance is not on the increase, it's on the decrease in many churches and in many communities throughout our city or throughout our nation, excuse me. Did you know that today 54% of Christians believe that same-sex marriage is good? 54%. It breaks my heart. 70% of Catholics believe same-sex marriage should be acceptable. 66% of mainline Protestants. 62% of Orthodox Christians. Or 54% of all Christians. Even 36% of evangelical Christians believe Marriage between a man and a man, a woman and a woman, is holy. The Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church USA, were the first to fall as the dominoes begin to tumble one right after the other. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America fell in 2009, changing their beliefs, their doctrines away from Scripture, apostatizing, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. The First Baptist Church, Greenville, East Lake Community Church, Grace Point Church at Nashville, I can go on and on, one right after the other. Whole denominations and whole churches are departing from the fundamental orthodox teachings of Scripture that have been taught this way for thousands of years. Back in October of this last year, a famous Christian author, Jen Hatmaker, along who along with her husband, Brandon, they star on the HDTV show, My Big Family Renovation. She said in an interview with Religion News Service that she absolutely does think that LGBT relationships can be holy. Her husband, Pastor Brandon uh, Hatmaker, uh, issued a lengthy Facebook posting saying that he 100% agrees with his wife. And he came to believe that monogamous same-sex marriages can be considered holy. Thank God, Lifeway Christian Resource announced that they would no longer sell her books or material in their stores. Why? Because they're taking a stand on what is right. My son went to the Passion Worship uh, Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, just a week and a half ago. And, and on that stage were great preachers like John Piper and, and, and Christine Kane and Beth Moore and great worship groups like Hillsong and, and David Crowder. But also came on that platform and why Lily, Lily, Louis Gigolo asked her to come, I don't know. But Carrie Underwood came, and she was featured to do a special song there. Carrie Underwood a few years ago, God bless her. She's a beautiful woman. She's a nice woman. She's probably a good-hearted woman, but she's wrong. She came out in support of gay marriage. And you know why? 
I'm talking about seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I'm talking about just before the coming of the, of the Antichrist, which will precede the coming of the Christ, the Lord Jesus the Christ. There'll be a great apostasy. There'll be a great falling away. Here's her justification. She said this according to religious news. She said, I just believe it's wrong if someone loves another person that they can't marry them. I know that sounds good. I know that makes you and I feel good, but it's wrong, and it's a lie. Now, I don't know who your favorite superhero was, but I liked, I liked Superman growing up. Uh, when I was a little kid, I liked him a little bit too much because I put a towel around my neck and put it with a safety pin, and I, true story, I literally jumped off the roof of our house. Thank God it wasn't a two-story house or I probably wouldn't be here today. But you know, there was an episode. I was reading this book, Snapping of the American Mind, and the author talked about this episode in a comic strip of Superman in 1958 that Superman was, was zapped with this particular ray gun. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a duplicate ray gun. And what it did is it mutated Superman into a muted clone of himself. And the muted clone of Superman was called Bizarro. Now, Bizarro was the antithesis of Superman. Superman represented good. Bizarro represented bad. Everything that Superman did to help, he did the opposite to hurt. Matter of fact, Bizarro founded his own cube-shaped planet called Hitari, which is Earth backwards. And on this cube-shaped planet of Bizarro's, everything was opposite. What was good was bad. What was bad was good. What was up was down. What was down was up. Light was darkness. Darkness was light. Everything was inverted. Everything was upside down. Matter of fact, on Bizarro's planet, the trash man, when he would come, he, he didn't come to collect the trash. On, on Bizarro's planet, the trash man would come to dump trash everywhere. We're experiencing our own Bizarro, the bizarre behavior in our society today where people expect you to enter into their false reality. And if you don't, they'll punish you. If you don't, they'll fire you. If you don't, in the military, they'll court-martial you. That you were born one way by your Creator, but you choose to be something else. And parents encouraging this in the lives of their children? Hello. Last call. Wake up. I'm turning on the light. I'm saying the times, the time is short. The hour is late. Christ is coming. Wake up. May the blinders fall from our eyes. May we as a people turn back to God once again and His holy commands. That's our only hope. That's our only salvation. Now listen, you have a right to believe whatever you want to believe. And I don't have a right to try to change your mind or convince you otherwise. I can try to persuade you in love, and we can have a, 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 a respectful debate. But if you believe a certain thing, don't make me believe it. If you believe you're a certain way, don't make me believe you're that way. Why should I have to believe you're that way when I see otherwise? Right? It's no different than me making you believe my reality. You have the right not to believe my reality. You have a right to disagree with everything I've said today, to walk out and never come back. I hope that's not the case. But even if you do, I know the seeds of truth have been planted in your heart. And I know one day God will water those seeds planted in your heart. And I know one day the light will turn on and you'll come to know Christ, His love, power, and grace in your life.
She don't have to believe my reality. And yet, we're now in a world where a very small minority wants you to believe their reality. I'm sorry, I want to get off Bizarro. Please send me back to planet Earth. When right was right and wrong was wrong, when black was black and white was right, when good was good and bad was bad, when up was up and down was down. Are you with me? I don't want to live in an upside-down world. Signs of the times. So what do we do? Two things, two things. We have to love strong and live strong. What do I mean by that? Love strong is, in Matthew 24, 12, Jesus said, because sin will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Because sin will be so rampant towards the end, the cool, the, the, that, that the, the love of many will, will cool down. I hope your love for Jesus is red hot. I hope the temperature, your spiritual temperature, is, is hotter than it's ever been before. I hope that you move away from the cold zones of life and that you don't allow yourself to stay too long in a cold zone that will cool your spiritual temperature for Christ. In Exodus 27, 20, God commanded the children of Israel that they were to bring in pure olive, pure oil pressed of olives for a perpetual light that was to continue to burn in the tabernacle, the place of worship. Speak spiritually of your life and my life that we have to be sure to keep the flame of Christ burning bright in our hearts. Husbands, bright in your homes. Fathers, bright in the hearts of your children. Moms, bright in your heart, bright in the, your, the, the, our marriages and in our families. Keep the fire burning, church. 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul said to Timothy, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift. Fan into flames the spiritual gift. You see, when you come to church, what we're doing through worship and preaching, we're fanning the flames in you. Amen. Jesus said a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You may just have a smoldering wick on the inside, but I'm here to blow on that until the fire and the flame is ignited once again. And you begin to burn white hot in your love for Jesus. Yeah, there'll be a great falling away, but I pray there'll be a great falling in love with Jesus all over again. Jesus, in his final letters to the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation, he said in Revelation 3.16, But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold... I'll spit you out of my mouth. Let me know Jesus did a lot of spitting in the Gospels. Three times he spit and healed people with his spit. Amen. That's good spit. But he said, listen, church, if you're going to love me, love me. If not, I'd rather you were cold than lukewarm. How me know he wants all of us to be red hot, on fire, burning for him. Amen. Amen. And then finally, you, you got to live strong. Which means in 2 Timothy 2.12, 2.12 it says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. you got to endure. They that endure to the end, Jesus said in Matthew 24, which is a chapter on end times, shall be saved. you got to endure. You know what that word endure means? I looked it up in the Greek. It's an amazing word. It means courageous active resistance to hostile attack. <laughs> courageous active resistance to hostile attack. What does it mean to endure in my faith? There are times I'm going to have to be courageous in my resistance of hostile attacks that come my way. That if you speak truth on the bizarro planet, people will look at you like you've lost your mind. And they'll get angry with you. And they'll label you a homophobe, a hater. Oh, you're one of those right-wing religious zealots. Oh, you're the 
get away from me, you know? No, we, we love. We do love. But we love truth. And we stand for truth. And we speak truth. Because our Savior said, it's only truth that sets people free. And we want people free. And so we speak the truth in love. And we'll endure courageously the aggressive resistance that you'll come up against if you choose to take a stand for Christ and his commands. But be of good cheer. If you confess me before men, Jesus said, I will confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father and his holy angels. Look to your neighbor and say, you ain't going to be denying. Come on, you're, you're no denier. I know you. You're no Tell them, you're no de Prophesy, you're no denier in Jesus' name. All right. We're out of time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we humbly come before you. The Holy Spirit is moving in this place. The blood of Jesus was shed 2,000 years ago to bring about atonement, redemption, forgiveness, grace, hope, healing, and restoration. No one is too far. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace, love, and power. It's here. It's for you now. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, restore, renew, and make you a brand new person. You simply need to turn to him in faith, turn away from sin, turn to God, repentance, and he will receive you, forgive you, heal you, and restore you. If that's you, you need to surrender your life to Christ or rededicate your life to Christ. Pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together? Those of you in the chapel, congratulations.